0: Uh, Good morning and welcome. My name is Andrew Conrad. If I haven't met you, I would love to have the chance to meet you. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. Um, Today we begin our series, uh, this new series that we're doing, Waiting and Resting on God. Uh, It's a series that leads us into Advent and will include our time of rest that you'll be hearing more about. That'll go from mid-December to early, mid-January. And so this, this is the series that we're in, Waiting and Resting on God. And Advent is a season, if you've never heard that term before, Advent, it's it's the waiting of what is coming, what is arriving. And so uh, Advent is traditionally the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. And so during that time of Advent, we wait. We wait. And that waiting is um, because we are reminded of, in the scripture, how people awaited the first coming of the Messiah. And now we are in the time where we are awaiting the second and final coming of the Messiah and for all things to be restored, right? For paradise to be restored, all things made new in heaven. And yet, in the meantime, we live in this tension, this tension of there's good things that we have, we know that Christ has come for us, and yet we wait again for his coming. You know it in your life. There's things that you're happy about right now and joyful, and there's also things that are full of sorrow. And that's the tension that we live in, that the kingdom of God has entered and intruded into this world, and it's here, but it's not yet fully realized. It's not yet fully formed. Heaven isn't yet here. And so we wait. And oftentimes when we wait, it feels very dark, but kind of like it does in here with those lights out. Um, and it feels very dark, and we wait for light. We actually plan that it's appropriate for the sermon, I think. That's what we did. We wait for light. The scriptures talk about this in Isaiah. Well, it talks about it in many places. But one of those places is in Isaiah chapter 9 and then again in chapter 60. Uh, And so I'm just going to read a couple of verses. You can follow along with me. These words are uh, on the screen. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say this. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And then we go to the end of Isaiah to chapter 60, the first two verses there. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever been driving in a, in a fog? It was pretty foggy Yesterday, um, at least in the early morning hours, it was foggy. Have you ever been driving in a fog and it's so foggy, like you can't see very far in front of you? Like, your lights don't even pierce the darkness. They're kind of just bouncing back off the cloud into your eyes, and you can't see anything. I remember one time I was driving on Lookout Mountain near Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, and it was winter, and it was literally in the cloud. I'm literally in the cloud, a dark cloud of fog, and I had to go so slow on the winding mountain road, because my lights would pick up a reflector on the center line. I would pass that reflector and couldn't see the next one for a second or two, and then it would pick it up. That's how dark it was, that's how foggy it was. Like I'm just going from reflector to reflector, hoping another car coming at me is doing the same thing better than I was. It's scary to be in the darkness and not being able to see Winter, for those of you summer lovers, winter in this hemisphere at least is the season of darkness, waiting for the return of the brilliant rays of the warmth of the sunshine in those long summer days. It's a season of waiting. For those of you who like snow, summer's that season of waiting, hoping for some snow this year. But we wait. We always wait in life. And we don't like waiting. Um, we're not very patient people, right? We're even told not to pray for patience because we don't want to wait, right? Nobody wants to do that. Don't pray for that. We don't like waiting. But what do you do when you're waiting? When you're in the waiting room and the doctor enters with bad news? What do you do when you're waiting and wandering in a fog of spiritual darkness? What do you do When the bad news seems to come again and again. When you're wondering, where is God? The the truth is that you and I want waiting to be over so that we can get to the end. The happy ending. I mean, if Disney and the Hallmark Channel have taught us anything, it's that there's a happy ending. Right? Always a happy ending. And in Hallmark movies, there's not even much bad. It's pretty much happy the whole way through. I think. You and I want this happy outcome. And while we wait for the happy outcome, while we wait for that second coming of Christ, while we wait for one day for heaven, we will miss something if we think there's no purpose in our waiting now. Paul Tripp, uh, pastor, author, and theologian, writes, waiting on God is not just about what you get at the end of the wait, but about what you become as you wait me say that one more time waiting on God is not just about what you get at the end of the wait but about what you become as you wait and you and I as people we're always becoming aren't we there's always the next thing something new that's shaping us we're always becoming and waiting on God is this time of waiting and and becoming becoming what what are you becoming As you wait in darkness for light, I have a couple of questions. I just want to ask about this to try to be clear in it today, Um, and we'll go through those in just a second. But one of the things I'm trying to do in this sermon is kind of be very high level and broad to say we live in this time of tension. This world that where there's still darkness that invades and light that comes in, and that hopefully will set some of the framework for you as we go through the next few weeks and hear these stories in the scripture of people who were waiting and what their experiences were like. But the question I wanna ask about waiting today, one of the questions, the first question is this, is waiting on God an active thing or a passive thing? Is it an active or a passive uh, thing that we do, this waiting on God? You see, cause we tend to think of waiting as a passive thing. We're in line at the grocery store or whatever and we're just like, I guess I'll wait. We're just like passing time, distracting ourselves, waiting to get through the thing to the next thing and it's and it's we just kind of do nothing except try to distract ourselves but the bible speaks of it differently when the bible speaks of waiting it is speaking of it with active terminology actively trusting in god it's not a distraction it's a dependence on god an active trust and dependence upon god and we see this in isaiah chapter 30 i'm going to give you guys several different scriptures today we'll walk through but here's one of them. Let's put Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 on the screen. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. So let's pause there for a second. Let me just tell you what's happening. God is telling Israel, um, hey, you're about to be at war, they're coming after you, they're going to come to conquer you, and you know what your salvation was in me if you trusted in me not in yourself it was in repentance and rest it was in quietness and strength but you wouldn't have it and so this army's coming to conquer you you're leaning on yourself you're going to see what happens and then verse 18 notice what he says in verse 18 yet The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. In in our minds, those two words don't go together, compassion and justice, but you're going to have to get over that. In the Bible, God does both of those things. It says, blessed are all who wait for him. That's an active waiting, right? That waiting is repentance and rest, quietness and strength. So waiting is not passive. It is actively repenting and resting in god finding strength waiting is a position of strength that says in quietness and strength waiting is so waiting on god is not self-reliance right self-reliance is when you think you got it under control or you got it enough under control right and i'm not saying you should never have responsibility and take control of things you should you should learn to be responsible people and do that but ultimately there's very limited things you can control Waiting on God is not about our self-reliance, about just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps during the hard times and just trying to cope and make it through and just sucking it up, trying to to get through it. It's not a self-reliance where we are just rushing into the next thing that we think is good. Did, Did you ever stop to pray about it and ask God to trust, to repent, to rest? Or did you just step off and do so it's not, waiting is not a self-reliance, it's dependence upon God. Israel had trusted in the strength of their armies and their horses, and God said, I'm going to be the one that's going to give you the victory. Waiting on God is also not self-medication, right? Like, that's what we do when we know we don't have any control, and we're like, oh no, it's a disaster, and so when we can't control it, and we don't know how to endure the pain, then we self-medicate, with alcohol or marijuana or other prescription drugs or food, and gorging ourselves, whatever it is, like I can't bear it. But both of those things, self-reliance and self-medicating, neither one of those are saying I'm in a position of repentance and rest and depending on God. And waiting in the scripture is saying I'm actively depending on God while something is not yet happening that I would like to change, while this is still present in my life. While that outcome is not yet reached, I will depend on God. The Blue Ridge Tunnel is almost a mile long, and it's a long walk in darkness. And if you haven't done it, you should do it. It's kind of fun. It's a cool thing to do if you're just looking to get away. But Michelle and I did it a couple years ago. I didn't ask her if I could share this picture, but Michelle, you're about to be on screen. Um, Would you put that picture on screen? (laughs) Um, So this is the Blue Ridge Tunnel. And there's uh, Michelle standing in front of it, and it's fantastic. It's a, it's a, it was a great walk, uh, and through that tunnel of darkness. It's an interesting walk because it is very dark, and um, as you can see in this picture, we put that picture back up for a second. If you do, you see it? Do you notice that in the picture? If you look closely, you can see it. You can see it. Let's put the next, put the next slide up. Maybe you'll see it in this one. Can you see it in that one with Michelle out of the way? Right in the center of the tunnel? Barely. Barely you can see the light a mile on the other side. The light at the end of the tunnel, right? And so you walk this tunnel, and you see the light on the other side, and you're walking toward that light, and it's small. And I remember thinking... We've been walking a little while, and you're kind of walking carefully and slowly, even though you have a flashlight or something with you because the ground's not all even. And, and I'm like, am, am I going to make it? That light isn't getting any bigger. It's still really far away. And, I mean, if, if you walk a mile in, in 20 minutes, you're walking at a pretty good clip. Well, in this tunnel, you're probably not walking that fast. So half an hour maybe to walk it, something like that. Am I going to get to the other side? Will I make it? What if my flashlight dies? I'll pull out my phone. What if my phone's dead? What am I going to do in the darkness if I can't make it to the other side? And if you are waiting and you are looking, then you are looking for that light in the darkness. You are looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, saying, in my darkness, I need to see something of light. need to see some light which leads to my second question for you today and that is this in your waiting how are you able to connect to and find a rest in God what if you're struggling to see that light you can't see it what if you think God has forgotten me or if you're asking has God forgotten me I want to say you're not alone in that the psalmist asked that question in multiple places in the psalms but especially in psalm 13 I'm not going to put these words on the screen but he, he cries out and he says, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Feels like God's not even looking in this direction. He goes on and says, give light to my eyes. Right? That's that darkness is overwhelming and I need some light. Maybe that's because you're in conflict with a friend or a spouse and you're waiting for resolution, hoping for reconciliation and the the freedom of full forgiveness and restoration as you rebuild trust. Maybe it's because you're on a fixed income and inflation has you going backwards and debt is increasing. Maybe you're selling stuff off just to make ends meet. Maybe you got bad news from the doctor and you're grieving loss and wondering how God is any help. The darkness seems overwhelming and if there's a light, it's very faint. What what, what do I do then, pastor? What do I do then? Keep trying to connect. Okay? Keep trying to connect to God. And you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I... Connect to God. Well, there's a lots of different ways you can do that. Let me just name a couple ways. One is do what you're doing right now. Gather with the people of God to find joy in worshiping God, even in the midst of hardship. Keep gathering with the people of God. I mean, it, I could give you a scripture verse for this, to suggest this. How about the whole book of Psalms? There's 150 of them. It's the hymnal hymnal for the people of Israel. It's their worship manual and says, this is what we do when we come to worship. And guess what? It's for all of them together. Psalms of ascent as they walk together up to Jerusalem for feasts. Songs of lament when as a community they need to mourn and weep. Psalms of confession when they need to confess their sins. It's their book of togetherness when they gather for worship. There's a few of them. You can read them. I find great joy when I come to gather for worship, even when I don't feel like it. Right? The days when like I don't want to show up, but I'm here because it's my job. Because you encourage me. Sometimes I don't sing and I just I just listen to your voices sing. And it's like through you, God is surrounding me with encouragement that I need to hear in the joy of others. And I know I'm not alone. Because we're gathered here, and we're like, okay, we're in it together. So keep trying. Gather with God's people to connect. Also, soak in his scripture. Soak it in. The scriptures say that your word, being God's word to us, is a light to our path. In our darkness, it's supposed to bring some clarity. It's supposed to give us rays of hope. And you're like, I just wish God would, like... Speak to me. He literally texted you. You're like all day long. I wonder what text messages I got. Right here. Lots of them. Texted you. Soak in the scripture. Soak it in. Pray it back. Just, God, I don't know what to pray. I'm praying back this scripture to you in the Psalms. It's, that's a great way to use the Psalms. N- Notice, too, what the, what the word, what the scripture teaches us about waiting Again, lots of examples I give you. Let me just give you two. Psalm 62, verse 1, says this. We can put it on the screen. He says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Right? For God alone my soul waits in silence. Now that is a description of what is happening, right? Just a statement of fact. Okay, my soul waits. Notice what happens as this psalm goes on through darkness and gets to verse 5. What does it say here? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. It's almost the same thing as verse 1. Go back to verse 1 again. Look, almost the same words. Go back to verse 5. But wait is different. Why? Because in this one, it's a prescription. It's a command. He's saying my soul waits. Yes, that's what I'm doing. But in this verse, he's commanding himself, wait. I must wait on God. That's the only place I have hope. So while it's a description of what you should do, he's here commanding himself, I will do it. And there's sometimes in your life when it's so dark and you're like, I don't think I can do it, you literally have to like take this verse and go, I will do it, I must do it, I must wait and find hope in the Lord. Where else am I going to find hope? Or, you know, you, you pray. Cry out to God. The Psalms are full of people crying out to God pray. Talk to him. Doesn't have to be fancy. Just say, okay, God, I don't, you know, life stinks right now, or li- I'm really thankful for this. Which, whatever it is, express like, like you would to somebody else. Talk to God, and he wants to hear from you. And Isaiah, again, tells us that God wants to comfort his people. Isaiah 42, verse 3 Put that, screen, uh, that verse on the screen if you would. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So, if you've got a candle that's burning down and there's barely a flicker of light coming from it, he's saying, God's not there to snuff you out. He's not there to stop the light. God's there to bring you hope and give you that light. And, and what if you're struggling to see the light again and you're tired of trying to pray? Say, I've prayed, I've gone to church. I've read my Bible, and I don't know what else to do. It leads to this third and final question I want to ask you is, in your waiting, do you believe the glory of God is greater than your darkness? Do you believe the glory of God is greater than your darkness? What if the end of the tunnel is still far away? Like, I don't know if I can make it. I've tried praying. I don't think I hear from God. Gone to church. Sometimes it helps. I read my Bible. But it's not doing it. What then? that light at the end of the tunnel is so faint and that destination is so far away you're like I don't think I can keep going I mean I'll try but it just seems like I'm never getting there let me put up another slide of the picture of the tunnel this is about midway through the tunnel the light's a little bit bigger and somehow my cell phone flashlight made that much light in the tunnel. The reason I'm showing you that picture is because the destination is still out there at the end. But light is intruding. And the reason that's significant is because what I've told you of things that you should do, pray, soak in the scriptures, gather for worship, are things you're trying to do in the darkness to see the light and say, I'm going to keep going this direction but for you you feel like it's always out there and you're never quite there is that just some kind of false hope some kind of tease like maybe one day you'll make it and what I'm trying to tell you is that light is not just a destination at the end of the tunnel that light is an intrusion into the tunnel it's an intrusion into the darkness where you are right here right now See, one reason you might feel distant from God is because you just want out of the wilderness. You just want to get to the good life, to that land of promise. And God says, you know what, but what you become along the way matters. Another reason you might feel distant from God is because you hear in the text messages that God forgives. You're like, okay, yeah, God forgives, but but you think he does so reluctantly, begrudgingly that maybe he would even change his mind and be like, I don't know, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can forgive this person again. And you say, but please, please, please. And God says, okay, I guess I'll forgive you one more time. And that's how you think of God's forgiveness. But what God is saying is, I want you to know me in the ups and downs, in the light and in the dark, I want you to know that I am full of grace, that I am your light and your intruding glory coming to you in the tunnel, not just waiting for you at the end of the tunnel. What we read at the beginning, Isaiah 60, verse 2. Remember? Did you hear the language? The thick darkness that is over the people. But the Lord's glory appears over you. In glory, the, the, the Old Testament word for glory uh, has this significance of, of weightiness, of uh, a word that was used about a decade ago, gravitas, this heaviness, this, this splendor, this radiance, this brilliance. This is the glory of God. And we see this glory that intrudes and comes to us in the tunnel. John tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, that it happens. Right? Do you remember those words? Let's, read, let's look at him. I'll read him to you. And the Word became flesh. Now, the Word is the Son of God, who he's saying here is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And as we, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory, the weightiness, the brilliance, the resplendent. And what John says there, when it's full of grace and truth, he's echoing the Old Testament covenant language of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to Israel at Mount Sinai. When Moses was there talking to the people, and it tells us that the people heard the voice of the Lord from a dark cloud and the fire that descended on the mountain. And they said, the Lord has shown us His glory. And they were terrified of it. And they receive the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up on the mountain. and He's gone for some time, for too long, for weeks. And they wondered, well, maybe Moses didn't make it. I mean, he's in that glory cloud of darkness and fire. Who knows what's going on? Maybe he died. So they make a golden calf, another idol to worship, and say, this is how we can connect to God now, which was a bad idea in case you're unclear on that. Um, Moses comes down the mountain carrying the stone with the the vows of their wedding ceremony written on him. Remember what we said we were going to do? This is what God's going to do, and you were going to do these things. And he smashes them on the rock and says, you've broken all the vows. I can't believe it. You you haven't even been married a month, and you ran off with another. He says, God could divorce you. What are you doing? But God chose not to, and he said, no, you're my people, and I will forgive you. And he tells Moses, you're going to lead them as they go into the wilderness, and you're going to lead them toward the promised land. And Moses is like, eh, really? How can I know, God, that you will be with us, that your presence, he says, will go with us? How can I know that you're going to be with us? And he says, he asks God a, a weird question, in a way, a weird question to us. How can he trust that God's not going to change his mind? In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 it says this. I'm going to put that on the screen. Moses said, please show me your glory. If you want me to lead these people, who less than a month have already turned on you, and you think going in the wilderness and then onto the promised land is going to work, you better show me your glory. Now, what is Moses asking? He's already seen the glory of God toward Egypt with the plagues that came on them. He's not asking for that kind of glory. What is he asking for? He's saying, God, I need to see your glory to know that you will be with us and not do what you did to Egypt. And so in verse 19 of chapter 33, God answers the question and he says this, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my name to you, the Lord. And I will be gracious whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, Moses, I choose to show mercy. And so he stuffs Moses in a crack in a mountain, and he passes by him in Exodus 34, 6, and he proclaims his glory in his name, and this is what he does. The Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. John 1.14, full of grace and truth. That's the connection. That's what's happening Jesus is the glory of God, the radiance of God, the presence of God, the very light of God. And John 1.16 says this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, what is John telling us here? He is telling us that God's grace is not like the light of a wounded lightning bug. It's radiant brilliant, piercing the darkness, shining forth in the face of Christ. It is not stingy, it is generous. One of the reasons you struggle in the darkness to know the presence of God is because you think God may not fully forgive or maybe not walk with you through your darkness. Why? Because you are quick to get angry. You are slow to show mercy, and you walk away from difficulty. But God is not like you, thank goodness. And he's not like me. God is the one who delights to show mercy, who is slow to anger and abounding in love, giving us grace upon grace. And you may still think, yeah, but he he forgives because Jesus somehow persuaded him to do that. Jesus persuaded him, and, you know, and, and God had to turn his face away. And, and Well, God did turn his face away in a sense of Jesus bearing all our sin. He did that so he would turn his face toward all of us. But you hear that and you think, well, God didn't want to. His heart wasn't in it. He just did it because Jesus persuaded him, and that's not true either. It's a lie from Satan. Listen to what Thomas Goodwin wrote about this. You are deceived, says Christ. It is otherwise. My Father's heart is as much towards you and for your salvation as mine is. Himself, of himself, loves you. The truth is, all that Christ does for us is but the expression of that love, which was taken up originally in God's own heart. And he concludes saying this. Christ adds not one drop of love to God's heart, only draws it out. He broaches it and makes it flow forth. God's heart, the Father's heart, is for his people. If you're his people, he is for you. His love shines forth brilliantly in his Son, Jesus the Christ, who according to Hebrews 1 is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Friends, that's good news for us. Because the light isn't only at the end of the tunnel. It intrudes into your darkness. The glory of God intrudes into your darkness, and he is for you. He is for you. When it's dark, yes, use all those things. Pray. Gather for worship. Soak in the scriptures. Actively pursue God. But when you're not seeing it, know he is coming after you. The light, intrudes into your darkness let's pray Jesus I pray that you will help us to know this truth and that we will delight in your glory as it shines upon us would you use your light to pierce away the dark shadows to dispel them to scatter them give us hope in this season of advent in this tension when we live between these two worlds Lord be our hope be our joy We ask in your name, amen.